Next week. Next week. Amen. If you could make your way back in and take your seat. <clears throat> it's always fun to watch you guys talking to one another and enjoying fellowship together. Um, let me ask you, how many of you have ever found yourself in a tough situation? How many of you have ever found yourself in a situation that you wondered if you were going to make it? I mean, we're, we're not talking about, yeah, well, I got to get up in the morning, the alarm went off, that's tough sometimes. I'm talking about where this feels like life and death, like am I going to make it or not? And if you've ever been in that situation and you've found yourself confused and even upset about the way in which God is allowing things to happen in your life, you're going to be able to kind of understand a little bit better what it is that the prophet Habakkuk is actually talking about. Now, Habakkuk, just to give you a little bit of quick background, which we've looked at for the last two weeks, and this is the final sermon in that short series, Habakkuk was a prophet, and he was what is called one of the minor prophets. In the Old Testament, there were five major prophetic books, and then there are 12 minor prophetic books, and Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. Minor not because he's unimportant, but minor because of the length of the book. And in this case, the book is only three chapters. The book was written sometime around 600 years before Christ came on the scene. And Habakkuk is struggling with his nation. He's struggling with the wickedness, the corruption that he sees all around him in his nation. And if, if there's ever a time that that fits our culture, I think it's now. And Habakkuk cries out to God and he says, God, it doesn't seem right that the wicked are prospering while the righteous are suffering. It's Harold Kushner. How many of you guys remember that book Harold Kushner wrote years ago? Why do, good, why do bad things happen to good people? That's, that's kind of what Habakkuk is struggling with on a day-by-day -day basis. But in this case, God actually dialogues with Habakkuk and says to Habakkuk, I see the corruption, I see the evil, and I'm actually going to do something about it. And Habakkuk, breathes a sigh of relief. He's happy, finally. Something's going to happen. And he's happy until God tells him how he's going to deal with it. And then Habakkuk's a little bit more confused. It's like, wait a minute, God. If I were in charge, I wouldn't do it that way. And I think for many of us, that's kind of what we're like in our daily lives. It's like, God, I want you to do something. But when God does do something, we're like, God, I, I wanted you to do something, but I didn't want you to do that. I don't like that. I wanted you to do something more for me. More in line with what I thought would be wise. And as I said to you last week, um, you kind of are going through what my father-in-law calls, called, because he's gone home to be with the Lord, what my father-in-law called the frustration gap. It's the gap between what you think God ought to do and reality. It's, it's the gap between what you think should be and what is be? What, what, what really is? And you're saying, God, this doesn't seem fair. I showed you another picture if you have that up there. Do you have that other picture up there? And this is kind of what life is like for us. We start out on the top of a hill. We're all excited. We have met God. And I'm not talking about just any God. I'm talking about the big G God. We've met God. And we find out that God wants relationship with us. He's, he's wanting communion, fellowship, friendship with us. 
He says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And we're all excited, things are going really well, and God answers our prayers, it's an exciting time. And then time goes by and we find things don't go quite as smoothly as they used to. And we find ourselves down in the dip of this gap, and we're saying, God, this isn't making sense. I thought you were a good, good father. And yet, I'm struggling. Things are not going well. Things are not right. When are you going to do something about it? And here's where we find that we have an opportunity. The opportunity is to move from mastery where we feel like if we can get all of the formula right, if I can get my act together, then God will do His part well. We move from mastery to mystery where we recognize there are just questions in life that you will never understand. Never get. And let me just ask you, how many of you have come to a point in life where you say, I don't even get almost anything anymore, but I still love God? I don't get it. That's moving from mastery where I feel like if I can get all my ducks in a row, if I can put the right coin in the divine slot and I pull that lever, God must give me this result. And we find out sometimes we do everything as right as we know how, like Job did, and yet the results are not what we wanted. We found that chapter 1 was Habakkuk left with his wonderings. And in chapter 1, the big question is, why? God, why aren't you doing something? Why won't you help here? And then we saw last week that chapter 2, Habakkuk struggles with a season of waiting. And here the question is, when? All right, God, you said you're going to do something. When are you going to do it? And we saw last week that for Habakkuk, it was over 20 years later, between the time that God told him what he would do, then God actually did it and brought some resolve. <clears throat> this morning we come to chapter 3. So if you'd open your Bibles to chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the wall uh, behind you on those screens. Habakkuk chapter 3, we're going to see something amazing. That Habakkuk even though the circumstances don't change. Now, please hear that. His circumstances do not change. Habakkuk is able, by God's grace, to still enter into a time of worship, of increased faith in God. In fact, what Habakkuk does is he moves to what for our purposes today we will call chapter 3 level faith. This is a higher level of faith. So, chapter 1 was about wondering. Chapter 2 was about waiting. Chapter 3, you're going to find, is about worshiping, even in the midst of it all. So, chapter 3, verse 1. Follow along with me if you would. <clears throat> I'm going to be reading, by the way, this morning in the NIV version. For those of you that get confused, I just use whatever translation I happen to have. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on... What's that word? Okay. For our purposes, we'll say on shiggy. Okay? You know, get all shiggy about it. Isn't, isn't there some music artist out there that talked about getting all shiggy or something? I don't know. What in the world is Shiggy and off? I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I don't know. Guys that are way smarter than me, and there's a plethora of them, um, but guys who are like commentators who wrote 
like a commentary, a book on the book, I mean a thick book, those kind of guys got together and they all came to an agreement that the word Shigianoth is like a musical notation. It's like when the music teacher says, you should do this song staccato, or forte, or pianissimo. It says, this song, this prayer that Habakkuk is writing, I want you to sing it. And I want you to sing it in this way. So most commentators believe that the word shigianoth just means how you should sing it. Verse 2, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk is saying, God, I remember. I've heard of what you did. Won't you do it again? Isn't it true, if you are honest, that there have been seasons in your life where you have been closer and more aware of God's presence than other times? You kind of go through ebbs and tides, you know, ups and downs. It's like sometimes the ocean crashes in and it's powerful and you can feel God's presence so much. You go to bed, He's on your mind, on your heart. You feel Him. You get up in the morning, the first thought is of Him. It's like it's a wonderful season. But then sometimes we wake up and it's like I didn't even think about Him this morning until like 10 o'clock. I'm not as aware of His presence. It's not that He leaves us, because He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's our awareness of His presence seems to come and to go like the tide. And what Habakkuk is saying is, God, there have been times when for this nation, You have been closer. You have done some stuff that was powerful, that was amazing, that was glorious, We're not experiencing it right now, but we're saying we know you can, so won't you? Won't you come and draw near to us? And he says, I want you to renew them. The word renew, by the way, in Hebrew is the word kaya, and it literally means to revive or to restore, to bring back to life or to put back the way it was originally. Would you not restore what you used to do to our day? Now, What do you do when you're in the gap? What do you do when you're in that season where it can feel like it's not as fresh, as vibrant, as alive as what it used to be? When circumstances don't seem to be changing or improving, how do you, by faith, climb out of the gap, as it were, climb up the other side and come out the other side of it? I believe that in this short chapter, chapter 3, there are a few things. I'm sure you could come up with more of your own. But there are a few things that I think are like integral. And these are things, by the way, that are not just theory for me. These are kind of how I have chosen to live my life. And so these things are things that are very, very real to me. Okay? So there are three things that I'm going to share with you. You can pick your own. You can say, yeah, that lines up with yours. Or you can find other things in the portion. But for me, the first one is we look back and we remember. We remember. We remember God's faithfulness. God's character, His goodness. We remember what God has done. Habakkuk, in this portion in chapter 3, looks back at some things that are tangible, some things that are right there. And when he sees them, those things evoke memories. 
And those memories that he has evoke for him a greater level of faith, of anticipation. And we see this all around us every day. Um, is it not true that you can smell something and in a moment that smell can almost translate you back to another time? Um, it wasn't uh, all that long ago that I smelled something and I was translated back to my wife's and my dating days. Somebody, I didn't even know they still even had it, somebody walked by me wearing Love's Baby Soft. Had to be. Something like that. I can remember, uh, I don't remember when it was or where it was, I, honestly I don't. But I can remember it one time thinking, Love's Baby Soft. And I remembered Karen. She was... I don't know, a year or two younger than she is now. And um, <clears throat> she, she had longer hair than she does now. But I can remember, it's like a, a memory of us just being together, staring at each other. Because back in those days, that's what you did. When you were in love, you weren't married yet. It's just like you just looked in each other's eyes. And that whiff, transported me back in time. Or for you, it might be different. Maybe it's not love's baby stuff. Maybe that means nothing. Do they even make that anymore? I don't know. You have some. Hmm. I'm having memories now. Uh, for you, it might not be love's baby soft. Maybe for you, it's the smell of fresh baked apple pie. And immediately, that aroma, that smell, transports you back to the time when your mom used to make apple pie. My mom was so smart. She knew who she was making the pie for. She wasn't making the pie for us. She was making the pie for Dad. And I can still remember her getting all the apples all washed and peeled and cut up and put in. And, uh, she would add uh, cinnamon and whatever else, vanilla. I don't know what you add to pies, but she would add all that stuff. Sugar. She would put it all in there. And before she would ever make the pie, she would make sure Dad had tasted it to make sure it was sweet enough. Because Dad was a lot like me. There's never quite enough sugar. Doesn't matter what you do, I can always add more, I promise. And she would have him taste it, and when he would finally evaluate it and say, yeah, it's good, she would put it into this pie crust that she would make, put the thing over it, and she would put it in the oven, and I would smell it. Every once in a while, I'll smell an apple pie, and I'll remember that. Or maybe for you, it's not that. Maybe it's mentholatum rub. <laughs> you smell that, and immediately you remember, oh yeah, Grandpa, Always been putting that thing on his sore knees. Every time we go to their house, it smelled like mentholatum rub. <laughs> Smells can trigger memories. Or maybe for you, it's not a smell. Maybe it's an actual item. You know, it's like we're coming up on winter season. And don't you mothers have to kind of make the switch in the clothing department from summer to winter? 
And so you find yourself down on your hands and knees and you're going through clothes in your closet and you're getting out the clothes and the bins that are all for each child that you have and all of a sudden you pull out this little onesie. What in the world is it doing in their winter clothes? But it's this little onesie. And before you give it one thought with your mind, your face smiles. Because your emotions don't need your mind. Your emotions just feel. And you smile. And you look at that little onesie and you're I've had three kids who have worn that same onesie. And one of them struggled, had problems as a baby. But look at him. Look at her now. And you remember God's goodness to you. Maybe for you it's not. Maybe it's a song. A sound that you hear. You know, that, that song from Fiddler on the Roof. Every time you hear it, you're transported back to your wedding day when Sheldon Sorge sang it for you. Maybe for you, it's a sound, not a smell. But something triggers memories. But it's not just that you trigger memories. The memories remind you of truth. The memories remind you of what God can do. Look at Habakkuk 3, verse 3. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. And every time you see the word Selah, by the way, it just simply means take a moment and think about it. Meditate on this. His glory covered the heavens. The earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand and there His power was hidden. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking about where Revelation says Jesus was so powerful in word that it was like a sword came out of His mouth. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. Now, I'm reading these words and I'm sure if you're like me at all, you're thinking, okay, I'm sorry, that doesn't do it for me. That doesn't mean much to me. I don't know about that perpetual hills and mountains and cushion and all that stuff. But those weren't your memories. Those were His memories. He was looking at some actual hills and say, wait a minute, I remember when. And the people who would hear His song, His prayer and song, would remember with Him. Because they saw the same thing. They felt the same thing He did. When you're in the gap, I think one of the first things you need to do is you need to remember. Um, I have memories. Uh, my memory, uh, I tell my wife all the time, is wonderful. As long as it's in the last two seconds or something like that. Um, but I have memories about this place. I have memories about this room. I remember a night in which God came in so much power that our children were touched. And some of them are here now as young married adults. Our children were touched, and back at that time we had those gold pews. <clears throat> I can remember our children being so touched by the presence of God that they were climbing over the pews and under the pews, chasing people down to grab them to pray for them. They were so excited about what God was doing in their own hearts, they wanted there to be a transference. I remember that night. <clears throat> I remember a young boy at that time stood right there, right there, right in that gap, stood on the second step 
and said, I feel like God met me in the nick of time and saved me tonight. And I will always treasure that memory. I remember uh, I was standing like right over there about where R.D. is. And I was standing next to a friend and we were having a service. And he was a pastor from Leroy and he had come to be with us. His name was Pete Miller. And in the midst of worship, I can remember there was such a sense of the deep, powerful, weighty presence of God. And I can remember Pete leaning over to me. And Pete, if you, if you know Pete, Pete is the worshiper. I mean, he just loves to worship God. He leans over to me and he says, Chris, this is what heaven is like. I have memories about this room. Um, Habakkuk takes several verses and just reminds the people of the way in which God demonstrated his presence even in nature. Uh, Karen and I, uh, we, we like when we vacation at times. We haven't always done it. But when we go down south, like to Florida, I like to be on the west coast because I think the sunsets are far more beautiful on the west coast, off the Gulf. And I can remember us being there and standing on a pier with hundreds and hundreds of other people watching the sun set and the colors across the sky. And when the sun finally went below the crest of the earth, you couldn't see it anymore, but there was still color in the sky, everybody on the pier, without anybody having to instruct, began to clap and cheer. And again, everything in me wanted to say, who are you clapping for? Because only one person just demonstrated His glory. But I recently was looking at Facebook, and on Facebook, I don't know if you realize this, they have a section called Memories. You know, five years ago at this time, on this day. Well, I'm looking at that, and there's these pictures, and you could almost see it happening in front of you. That's exactly what Habakkuk does. When I find myself struggling in the gap, where I don't feel quite as close as I used to. And I'm not understanding always what God is doing. I don't always even like what God is doing. I find myself remembering His goodness. I remember how broken my Lanaville family was. How, as kids, we lived in fear every single day. And then God broke into our family and saved my dad and changed the course of the Lanaville family forever. I remember how God brought me to a place which at the time, I just like, nobody in our family had even gone to college and yet I find myself at Elam Bible Institute taking courses where I was dumb. How could I take courses? But taking courses. And the first girl I ever met at Elam was a young lady by the name of Karen Edwards. And to my shock, she must have been in a moment of insanity, agreed to marry me. I mean, she was so far beyond me, it was just, it, it is like, you know, forget lassoing the moon, I'd have to go to another solar system. I remember a young three-year-old boy standing on a chair behind a pulpit in Sterling, New York, as a three-year-old saying, you must be born again. And watching that young boy grow up to become an amazing man of God. I remember here in this place, a young woman coming to a church on a Sunday evening. She had a tumor on her brain. 
Not much hope, if any. And she came and she heard the gospel that night. She received the good news of Jesus Christ. And there she accepted him in her heart. And the truth is, it's not that she accepted him in her heart. The truth is, he accepted her into his heart. And then, having experienced his love, we said, can we pray for you about this tumor? And her response was amazing. Her response was, no, you don't need to. I'm okay. If I die now, I know where I'm going. But we prayed anyways, and God healed her. And she sits among you today. I have memories. Now, my memories are not your memories. Um, you have your own memories. Your memories might not be the same as mine. It might be more like... Um, Maybe there was that time when you were just so down. You were ready to quit. And you just decided, I don't know what else to do. So I'll go, I'll go to church one more time. But after that, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And you come into church and it seemed like no one else was here but you and God. Every word spoken, every song was for you. And you remember how God met with you that day. Or maybe it was that time when you were just hurting because you just had a fight with your spouse and you just get in your car and you drive and you don't know what's going on. What am I going to do? It doesn't seem like things are going well and it doesn't seem like things are changing. And suddenly onto your radio comes a song. Maybe a song you've never even heard before. But as that song was sung, you felt liquid love pour into your car so much that you began to weep and you just had to pull over because you couldn't even see anymore. And God met with you in that car. Or it could have been as simple as you were just having a hard day. And a friend texted you and said, I was just thinking about you and I'm praying about you. You have memories that you can call forth. And it's not just that you have memories and they give you a good feeling. It's the memories remind you of God's goodness to you. That's what you do when you're in the gap. You remember the goodness, the kindness of God. What he has done in the past, he can do again. So the first thing you have to do when you're in the gap is you remember. You say, God, I remember. Would you not do it again in our day? The second thing you do is you accept what God is doing. And this one's going to be hard for you. I know it's going to be hard for you, especially for some of you. You're, you're, you're not going to agree with me, and that's okay. You can be wrong. Um, I don't mean you roll over and play dead. I don't mean you just suck your thumb in a corner someplace. That's not what I mean at all. What I'm talking about is though you pray for a miracle, though you might even pray for change, you acknowledge I'm in a gap. I'm going through something. I got stuff that is going on. There are different seasons in the life of every single believer. And sometimes the seasons that we're in aren't much fun at all. Uh, I was with a friend yesterday, a man who I esteem highly, one of my dearest and oldest friends. Uh, in fact, uh, we were remembering yesterday that our, our friendship goes back 40 years more. So this is a man that I honor and respect and esteem greatly. He said to me, and this is a man, by the way, who's in the midst of chemo treatments for his second bout with cancer. He said to me, Without me having to prompt him, not knowing any of this, he said, and I think this is correct. I, I tried to get it down. He said, I had to finally come to the place of admitting the truth. I have cancer. Too many Christians are what I call hits Christians. Hits Christians. 
It's head in the sand, Christians. Something happens and they don't want to admit it because if I say it out loud, it's as if I'm somehow lending it power. The truth is, if you're sick, you are sick. That doesn't mean God isn't your healer. doesn't mean God doesn't love you. But somebody says, no, I won't say I'm sick because that's giving the devil power. You're not giving the devil any power. He's lost all his power. Jesus has already vanquished him. If you are sick, it's okay to say, I feel sick right now. Now, I'm looking to God as my healer. I'm believing Him for health and strength, wholeness. But I still feel what I feel right now. And I, I so appreciated that He said to me yesterday, I had to finally come to the place where I accept what is true and real. I have cancer. Um, it, it's kind of like um, there are people who are dealing with stuff. And the doctor comes along and says, okay, you know, you've got some health challenges. You need to uh, change your diet, lose some weight, and you need to start working out a little bit. You need to get some exercise. You need to allow your body to heal. Too many Christians say, I I'm not going to receive that. I'm not going to do that. No, I'm going to just believe God. Great, you believe God, but how about you also use the wisdom God gave you? Or somebody's marriage is in trouble and their spouse says, I think we need counseling. Says, no, no, we don't need counseling. Jesus has got us. Yeah, Jesus has you. But he also puts wise people around you who can perhaps help you in your marriage. Or, this, is, this has happened to me so often. People say, you know, I just believe God wants us to have this house. I think God wants us to have this house. They can't afford it. They don't have the money. They don't have the wherewithal. It's even far away from where they want to live their life. But I feel like God wants us to have this house. And they do it anyways. And then they live from that point on with constant headaches. And they wonder why. Because you stick your head in the sand instead of looking at things honestly with the help of the Lord and faith in Him. And again, I know for some of you, you're not going to agree with me, but I think too many Christians deny reality. They don't deal with what's right in front of them. And again, I'm not talking about being negative or fatalistic. I think you could and should pray for God's intervention. I think you should pray for miracles. Believe God for miracles. We have seen it again and again. But I think there comes a point in time where you have to say, I'm in the gap. I'm struggling with something. I've got something going on in my life that's hard. And I need God's help for it. Now again, sometimes we're in the gap and we don't want to admit it. We feel like, uh, I don't know what God's doing and I don't want to say something negative. It's not being negative to tell God how you feel about things. If you read the Psalms, in fact, uh, who was it? Oh, Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, who's the guy who wrote the uh, Message Bible, some of you have used that. Eugene Peterson said, the greatest travesty in the church in this last generation is that we have received a psalmectomy. In other words, we have forgotten that the psalms are full of psalmists who write out of their pain, out of their struggle, out of their confusion. A psalmectomy. When the truth is, what the church needs is some more people who will write psalms of lament. Where I'm in pain, God, I'm struggling, and I want you to know I'm in struggling. Sometimes it means standing outside, maybe someplace where nobody else can hear you, and screaming at the top of your lungs what you're feeling inside. But you do it to God. Not to others, because they can't help you. They can't change. You do it to God. You say, God, this is what I am feeling. In Habakkuk 1.6, God told Habakkuk, 
he was going to discipline his people by bringing the Babylonians. Habakkuk's like, God, I don't understand it. But when you read chapter 3, you see Habakkuk finally came to the place of accepting. All right, God, that's what you're going to do. I don't understand it, but that's what you're going to do. And I, number three, the third thing you do, is you trust the Lord based upon what he has done. You trust. I wish I could have changed these words better. I just couldn't make it work because I don't want to get to save rat. Somebody else can help me with that. That, that just that's going to eat it away. Oh, Lord Jesus. What did you want it to be? Tar? Yeah, that's out of order. You trust, you remember what he did, you accept what's going on, but you trust what he's going to do. Look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. <coughs> I heard, and by the way, look at the words that Habakkuk uses here. How brutally honest, how gut-wrenchingly raw is he with his words. Listen to him. I heard and my heart pounded. What did he hear? He heard how God was going to use these Babylonians, these Chaldeans who were cruel. He said, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet, 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 I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He's saying, listen, things aren't good. I don't like what's going on. I don't understand, God, why you're doing this way. Yet, I'm going to wait because I know you have said you would not only use that nation to bring discipline to your people, you would then in time discipline those people. And I'm going to wait for you to make all things right. I don't understand. I don't like it. But I will wait patiently knowing that you will make all things right. Verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior when he has no reason whatsoever naturally, visibly, demonstrably, to be able to trust God, he chooses to trust God anyway. He makes a conscious choice. I'm going to keep my trust in you. It's where the disciple says, when Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? And he says, where else are we going to go? You're it. You alone have the words of eternal life. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't like what you're doing but I'm going to trust you anyways because you are God. I choose to trust and to worship God even though I'm going through this stuff. And all of us go through our even those. You know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that valley, by the way, is the gap. It's the gap that we've been talking about. Even though my marriage isn't what I hope it would be. Even though my spouse who promised me certain things on my wedding day, is not following through with their vows, even though I choose to trust You, God, and to put my hope in You, my Savior. Even though I raised my kids to know better and they're making some crazy decisions, yet I choose to trust You, God. 
even though we've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and fasted and prayed for Judah to be completely healed. And five months later, it's not here yet. Even though all of that's true, yet we choose to trust God and to believe that His promise is true. He's going to do what He said He will do. He's a good God, worthy of our worship. Even though our finances are tough right now and winter's coming and it takes 400 bucks to fill my propane tank. And I don't know where I'm going to get that 400 bucks. Even though that's true, yet I choose. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to believe God will provide through the means that He has given to me. Even though I don't like it. Even though I don't understand it. Even though I know He could and He doesn't seem to be. Even though all of that's true, yet I will trust the Lord. We all want a breakthrough experience. We want that great, dramatic testimony that we can give that at the last minute God came through and look at what happened. We all love those. But can I suggest to you, you don't get a chapter 3 level faith until you've first gone through a chapter 1 kind of wondering. A kind of wrestling. And you don't get it until you've gone through a chapter 2 kind of waiting. Because God doesn't give you a chapter 3 level faith until you've allowed the process to work inside of you. For God to do something in you that He can only do in that gap. Um, there are things in my own life that I have talked with God about for a long time. Things I want changed. Things I want better. Hopes I have. Dreams I have. I've talked to Him. I haven't seen it change yet. Oh, maybe I've seen some change, but it's not at the level I want. I think God could do better but I'm still keeping my eyes on Him. And then there are things where I have prayed and I feel like God has just said, no, that's not going to be the way it is. And I have to be able to say, God, I trust You. And can I suggest to you that people who have gone through this gap, people who I know personally, people I have read who have gone through the gap, gone through that valley of the shadow of death, and have come out the other side, Every single one of them that I know who have come through that come through with a richer kind of faith. They went in with a whole boatload full of faith in their mind. But through the cauldron, the fires of that gap, they're left with only a teaspoon of faith. But it's real faith. It's the real thing that is rich, that will hold you for a lifetime. He says in verse 19, the sovereign Lord, not, not, not some little God, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. We're not talking about uh, some weak God. We're talking about the God of all gods who is going to enable us to go out the other side of this gap. Bob Mumford, uh, who is uh, one of my favored Bible teachers over all of these years, said at one point, I don't trust people who don't walk with a limp. In other words, they've been through it, and God's touched the socket of their hip, and they've walked with a limp ever since. My way of saying it is, I don't trust people without scars. If I'm going to give my life and trust to you, I want to know, you've been through some stuff. Hard stuff. You have been proven in the fires and come out the other side better. 
Those are the kind of people I want to look to. Those are the kind of people I trust. This is where you have a lot of questions. I said to you that Habakkuk was not going to be a sitcom kind of message. You come out the other side and you say, I want better than that though. I know I have to worship God in the midst of it. Yeah, but the point is not what you know. The point is what do you do? You give your heart to God. You come in this morning and maybe things aren't the way they ought to be in your mind. Things are struggles for you. Can you worship God anyway? Can you trust that God knows what he's doing and will do what he has said? Can you trust him? When you do the Habakkuk thing, and remember Habakkuk, the word Habakkuk means to embrace or to wrestle. When you do the Habakkuk thing, you grab hold of God just like Jacob did and said, I will not let you go. I have nowhere else to go, God. I put all my eggs in one basket. That's part of growing up in Christ. Too many Christians come to Jesus because they're in trouble and they want him to rescue them. And once he rescues them on the immediate level, they think that ought to be that way every single day. Sometimes God lets us go through some hard stuff in order to mature us as people. He will take you, though, to a place of new trust and spirituality, maturity, like you never could have imagined. That's what the gap is about. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes if you would? I recognize that in a room this size, people are in different places. But I felt from the beginning, and the reason why I even picked this little book, is that God had something to say to somebody or somebody's. I felt like this was a word. A word. I don't say that lightly or easily. I don't always say that. You'll notice that over the time. But I felt like this was a word from God to somebody here. You're going through something. And it's hard. Can you embrace mystery? Question. Can you embrace that even in the hard times, God can meet with you? He doesn't wait till you're out of the ditch. He meets with you in the ditch. So my question to you this morning, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, so it's just between you and the Lord, do you find yourself in this season of life in a gap, in the place of struggle, in the place of questions and wondering? Why, God? When, God? Why not? If that's you, I'm going to ask you just to be honest before the Lord and say, that's where I'm at right now. I'm struggling. I have some things that I am struggling with. Would you raise your hand and just say, that's me? Okay. Thank you. You don't have to keep them up. I just want you to do it to be able to attest to God. God, that's me. And you and I, God, we're going to have some honest conversations about this. And I'm going to be real. But that doesn't change my trust. My trust is getting deeper and deeper because though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's what this is about. Father, in Jesus' name, in the strong name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and in the power of his shed blood, I ask that you would come and you would meet with us in the broken places of our lives, the gaps 
where we feel the, the, the rub between what we thought would be and what is. What we thought should be and reality. In those places where there's almost a constant chafing. When I wake up and there's a sadness in my soul because I had hoped for more. It's into that place, Father, that we invite You to come today. We don't try to keep that place separate from you saying, well, I don't want to tell God what I really think of him right now. It's into that place that we're going to even be more real, more honest, because you know our hearts and our minds anyways. But we don't do it as an attack, Father. We do it telling you in the agony of our soul, this is what we feel. This is where we're at. But we're keeping our eyes on you. We're going to trust you you. We're going to worship you. Yes, there still might be a time of waiting. Yes, there's still going to be wondering. But I'm going to worship you through it all. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. And when I come out the other side, because Lord, I believe I will come out the other side because you don't leave us in that valley. He says, yea, though I go through the valley. I'm coming out the other side. Even though that's true, when I come out, I believe I will be changed. I will be changed by your glory, by your goodness, by the fires that you allow in the gap, the furnace of affliction. Father, I'm asking for something deeper in the hearts of your people today, that we would grow, we would mature, and not stay chapter one Christians. Not even get stuck in chapter 2 of waiting. But that we would become chapter 3 level faith Christians. Because it's been real to us. As we have kept our eyes on you. Lord, let that be a reality, I pray. In the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day.